Welcome to Zeitgeist with Zach Geist. I'm your host, Zach Geist. This show is made possible by Student Loan Tutor, which you can find at studentloantutor.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please take a moment and give us a review. Thank you. So, good morning. This is uh, Zach Geist, um, and I've got... I'll let him introduce himself since his last name is challenging for me to pronounce. <laughs> the words on your screen don't seem to make sense to you. <laughs> no, it's like... <laughs> My name is Ivan Figenskjell-Schellum. Yeah. Yeah, Norwegian exactly. Norwegian name. Mm. So, uh, Ivan works with men and uh, works with uh, the masculine archetypical uh, archetypal, archetypal uh, principle as well as the anima, obviously within men as well, which is uh, comes from Jung, Carl Jung's work and has been uh, furthered by other neo-Jungian uh, thinkers, people like Michael Mead, Robert Bly, uh, James Hillman, and others. And he runs uh, and Robert Moore. Thank you. I was looking for that one. My brain doesn't work so well in the morning. Um, uh, and he runs something called Reclaim Your Inner Throne, where he creates or orchestrates or facilitates uh, an initiation for men that takes place over the course of three months, as I understand it. And they use a map uh, using the mythological tale of Lord of the Rings to help describe uh, the process of what it takes to become a mature masculine. Have I said that somewhat correctly? Uh, somewhat correctly, yeah, for sure. Uh, we we haven't based our training entirely on Lord of the Rings. There are just certain uh, themes in the Lord of the Rings that I have fallen in love with, that I have injected into the Reclaiming Your Throne mythos. Though uh, Reclaiming Your Throne is based on uh, a self-contained imaginary mythological world called Realm of Forgotten Kings. And you, the men traveled through 13 locales over the course of this three-month period and some of them have in drawn inspiration from Tolkien but there are all kinds of inspiration or sources uh, for the for the narrative and much of it also being entirely original so and how long have you been doing this Ivan that's about five years by now so we're currently running round number 11 and we're in the process of shifting up our whole business model they say basically so that we're going to be able to reach thousands, thousands of men with this work because it, uh, it's changing lives across the world and it has from day one. So, so what made you, what made you start this? You know, I, um, I came to this as just, a, a as a graphic designer that was profoundly dissatisfied with mainly mark or just marketing stuff that I didn't care about. I had this, particular moment I think it was must have been in 2010 or something like that where I had a realization as I was stitching together in, in, a, in a on a website some advertising for an ammunition manufacturer uh, from the, uh, the the main arms production producing uh, city here in Norway and I was yeah this this isn't quite what I imagined doing with my time. 
And uh, at the moment, I had actually been running a website called masculinitymovies.com for a couple of years already, basically because I just found the inquiry around what the heck it means to be a man mm -hmm. in this day and age. I found it profoundly fascinating because basically nobody had given me any instructions on what it meant to be a man. And I felt like I was just fumbling to the dark. I think a lot of us feel that way. I, I, I think it's important that people that are listening to this know that a lot of men have found that what the hell does it mean to be a man? Is it, you know, do I act tough? Do I, I mean, I grew up in the ghetto of the Bay Area and uh, what it meant to be a man was to show no fear. Um, if you even hesitated for a moment, you'll pay for that, you know? So it was better to hit the minute that there was threat and, um, and if you didn't, then you're going to get hit much, many more times for not doing it. So you're constantly riding that line, riding that edge. I mean, people would fight over the most ridiculous things. Somebody's looking at the wrong way, and that's what masculinity meant. And in other ways, and other, the other side of that is maybe the other type of masculine, maybe more, femin more feminine and dis disengaged from any aggressive behavior whatsoever. And I think that's something that, that maybe you'd seen some of well that's increasingly it. common these days uh, and i'm from norway and this part of the world scandinavia the nordics or even northern europe uh this is this is more and more becoming the default man you know this this very sensitive guy this it doesn't need to be a negative thing that the, uh, that we as men have become really sensitive actually it's it's of course healthy to integrate these lover parts of us these feminine parts of us though what i find not only in working with men but also in conversations with women is that there is a there's a profound lack of clarity and agency and courage that has seeped into the current generation of men so that there is uh i would say that the societal problems from men having this sort of half-life experience uh, is is starting to reach uh, epidemic and pretty critical levels and uh, and that's something that i'm looking at really really a lot through my work because i i see a lot of these men i also see the men who who you're speaking about or who you were that think they are tough you know but mm -hmm. really deep down they're just these soft puppies that are just trying to make do in, in, a, in a harsh world, you know, and they don't even realize that the world maybe isn't as harsh as they perceive it to be, that there's love available, that they can actually relax and, and just let go a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Hmm. And so yeah, I, I remember for, for me, um, I actually became, and I, I, I do, and I not only work in, I, I know what introduced us together is our friend Charles Eisenstein, and the podcast we've both done podcasts with charles and it was the money element from the financial side and the relationship with money the soul and masculinity uh and then on the other side i started a something called ecstatic dance which is a dance that happens twice a week where we have one of the largest in the world here in salt lake city i started this a little over three and a half years ago and uh and for me, what was deeply healing was to become softer. I mean, I was physically, like, if you were to touch me, it was like granite. Uh, and I thought that that was good. And I think, you know, there's like that hip-hop song, 
You know, the boys in the hood are always hard. You be talking that trash, we'll pull your card. You know, like, uh, they're hard. You know, they're hard physically. Uh, they don't show a lot of emotion. Like, my face didn't have a lot of expression. I mean, I didn't even notice. I thought that's just what I looked like. And uh, and my body didn't have really any any suppleness to it. I remember I would get massages, and, you know, the massage therapist would be, you know, and I didn't get massages for many years, but I finally started to get them, and the massage therapist was like, oh, my gosh, like, you are like a human knot. And uh, eventually it did work out. And then, yeah. And I think the other end that that there might be is that some men become almost on the opposite spectrum, kind of almost like jelly. And there's something in the middle where there's a healthier place to be and trying to work our way to get there. So I guess maybe we'll start with what in the hell happened and why uh why is this going on do you think what what co- what started this process of of men feeling disconnected from soul uh and masculinity and gender becoming a very confusing and controversial topic oh uh, yeah well i'm not a historian but i certainly have my uh, my ideas on this and uh we could take the super 40,000 feet view of it or we could go in a little bit deeper but let's let's just let's just say that there was a time some thousands of years ago when man lived in some level of intimacy with nature and then for whatever evolutionary reasons the that intimacy started dissolving as the human ego started developing so the, the, the concept of separation started developing as, a, as a, an evolutionary agent, I would say, at that stage, because uh, at that stage, you would be born into tribes where the roles were completely set. And if you did anything autonomous, you would be perhaps killed or exiled from the tribe. This mm-hmm. is how it was. And so at a certain point in our human evolution, enough people were dissatisfied with the idea that they didn't have choice. Mm-hmm. that we we started individualism was born yeah we started individuating a little bit more and so we we went through cycles of okay now like the ego comes online and then we go into this feudal terrible uh, dark mm-hmm. times you know and then and all of a sudden we get religion and nation states to temper the the raw fires of the ego and and then on top of that after a while we're we're tired of living in these tight little boxes of uh, saints and sinners and good and bad and like yeah our myths got very simple too they got polarized you had you know good and evil you know the greek pantheon had many gods i mean the god of nature who you spoke about which was a masculine god was pan and uh pan is the you know the horned the horned creature with the uh with the hooves uh for feet and uh you know, there's that. I just watched that movie recently, Pan's uh, Pan's Labyrinth, and I read oh, yeah, James Hillman's. Oh yeah, yeah. And I read James Hillman's book, uh, Pan and the Nightmare, and uh, Dream in the Underworld was his other book that I thought was very profound about this underworld being a living realm that is just as real as this realm, and that yeah. essentially Pan and our current mythology, our our psyche is is restricted by our current mythology, which is polarized into either good or evil. Or, or light and dark, you know, I mean, the new age terminology or lexicon that surrounds this, uh, if you just replace, you know, the universe for God, you know, it's the same. It's still, in my opinion, doesn't have the, 
the depth and the creativity and the imagination that the Greek pantheon had, or if you take all the different mythologies together, it expands the psyche and how you could engage with yourself and how you can engage with the world. And uh, what ended up happening, and I think maybe part of the male destruction, uh, Pan represents the wild masculine or the wild male as well. Uh, and then, and he also represents male, the man's relationship with nature, the man's relationship with sex. Because remember, Pan actually was the one that would initiate the nymphs into the realm of sexual intercourse. And he's always chasing the nymphs around. Uh, so essentially, he's taking their innocence. Uh, and there's a little bit of a game there. And, uh, and essentially, Pan's been turned into by Christianity. I don't know if you recognize what character he resembles. He's been essentially turned into Lucifer. And all of his traits have been considered uh, the not the traits that are admirable. Yeah, well, you could say that the purpose of Christianity on some level was to, uh, is to, to wring the wildness out of us so that we could get some order into the, the, the nation, you know, the, the, the court of laws and all of these things that have been emerging over millennia of cultural evolution have have come into the picture in order to to quell those really chaotic uh, impulses for in, uh, individuality right and and so in that process we get further even further away from nature but for for good reason for good mm -hmm. reason and then out of that you know it develops this more meritocratic capitalist we 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 can make our own way in the world if we only put our discipline and our will behind it and it doesn't matter if you're black or white or man or woman. And, and, and so up until, up until this point, we, we are after the separation and up until this point, we can roughly, roughly speaking, we are in within what is now popularly being called as the patriarchy. Right. Mm -hmm. And that has a very negative connotation. And it also has for some, for some people has a very, I'm in, I'm in Utah. So the patriarchy has a very different meaning here. I'm, I did not grow up Mormon. Uh, I grew up Russian Orthodox, of all things. Yeah. And uh, yeah, uh, but here in, in Salt Lake City or in Utah, and this is kind of the Mecca of the Mormon church. And the patriarchy is the structure by which, as far as I understand it, I, I'm not well versed in Mormonism, but uh, I, am, I am immersed in it, uh, at least superficially by being in being here and I've done some little bit of digging into it but there's the patriarchy is the way that the family structure functions and uh I, I think it's even the way the afterlife functions in in their mythological perspective yeah yeah I think depending on where you are in the world the patriarchy can be a positive thing or a negative thing even today though in the general cultural discourse it's it's almost like the devil by by now you know it's evil mm -hmm. it's evil incarnate you know yeah and and um what's the difference between patriarchy and masculinity because i think masculinity gets branded as patriarchy and people are losing the subtlety of the difference you know where i think there's probably a, a relatively large difference the to others it might look like there's no difference at all i think i think that's really an important distinction and uh, i think Patriarchy, roughly speaking, could be defined as the rule of men, just to make it really simple. A rule of men that it, that is passed down through generations. And, and so, yeah, it's the men that are, are the rulers of society. And um, for the reasons that we've already 
covered that happened for yeah that was a natural evolutionary emergence because if you look at the archetypes that i work with uh king warrior magician lover mm -hmm. consider that the, arch the the archetypes that are most strongly present in quote unquote the patriarchy are the king and the warrior like they're really they're really strongly present they're a little bit of the more scientific qualities of the magician but there's almost no presence of of the lover if you look at, for instance, Christianity, the lover actually came, and even to this day in Norway, and I'm sure many places in the world, in the more conservative, pious branches of Christianity, this lover archetype is almost still equated with evil. Because mm. the lover has, the, to this day, has, or that is the archetype, has that strong connection to nature and has a direct access to the to, to spirituality and, and mystical union with creation, which it gets in the way of the church having their hegemony of the sort of the spiritual discourse. You know, they, they control that that whole dimension of our culture. And so we need to just separate that out in order to to keep control, you know, of the, of the cultural institutions. And I think at a certain stage, we've come to realize that, that that doesn't work. And and so masculinity today, uh, as distinct from the patriarchy, and, um, uh, you know, um, it's, it's something that realizes I'm not just the king and the warrior anymore. I'm not just the boundaries of culture that keeps chaos at bay. Mm -hmm. I'm also, I'm also connection with nature. I'm also connection with the creative principle. I'm also, the connection with mystical union with uh, existence itself. But isn't that the feminine side? Aren't people thinking that connection with nature is feminine? I, I, I know the answer to this, but I'm, I want to hear your take on this. Yeah. So the way that I distinguish masculine and feminine in the archetypal realms is mm -hmm. that, uh, is that the, 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 the king and the warrior are predominantly masculine. And then the, and the magician has this uh, unique, quality of actually bridging the two mm. so you, the magician travels between the three realms of existence the underworld the middle world and the upper world the same as the shamanic realms right oh yeah very yeah. much so and so you could say that the, the the in the magician archetype you have the bridge between the masculine and the feminine actually encoded and so the shaman you could say is the earthbound quality of the magician it's very much in union with nature and with anim like animistic uh, ideas and like trees and animals have spirits. You can, you, can, you can travel to the Amazon and be initiated into the language of the trees there to this day, you know, and I have friends who have done that and many of us have drunk ayahuasca and we mm -hmm. were just plunged into this, uh, this incredibly vast jungle-like geometric mother maternal sort of, yeah, it's, it's a trippy place that is very distinctly feminine. So the, but you also have the engineers of our culture and the scientists that are still very much stuck in the rational left brain hemisphere, right? And so, so you have, and then you have the lover that is very much uh, correlated with what we can, we keep, or what we would call feminine. And so this is why men for so long have been told, you know, to not cry, to not be emotional, to not do all of these things. They are the lover archetype in us. They tend to take us into places that are more associated with the feminine. 
And the reason I believe we need to understand why this has happened so that we don't think that there has been some sort of uh, nefarious plot on the side of men in dark suits sitting in boardrooms around the world to sort of dominate us all in a cruel way. Yeah, I've been I've been accused of being one of these reptilians, right. I think they're called. I've Oh yeah. yeah I I saw Dark Crystal recently and I'm like, oh, maybe this Skeksis character, maybe that's what people have thought, you know? Cuz uh I think that the minute you're I mean, running a dance community uh and starting that, but then at the same time running a finance company uh to somebody that looks at the masculine as something negative, uh, they could automatically, I mean, it doesn't happen very often, but it has happened where people think, you know, if you're doing anything in business, you are evil in, you know, pow power is, is evil. Just if somebody by association. Is, yeah. Yeah. And then it's like, what do you do? And I think I even struggled with trying to disempower myself to get rid of the loneliness that comes with maybe wielding power superficially or wielding more power than's needed um i tend to do maybe overdo things uh which makes sense <laughs> given 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 my history personally my personal history but uh yeah you know so, uh, the the thing that i think is important if if i may continue my line of inquiries is that when when we developed as a species on this planet and i know that some of charles our friend charles's observations in some of his literature would suggest that or maybe it wasn't so harsh back in the days and things were easier than we think from our modern frame of mind but you know i think that ultimately the truth is that throughout most of human history life has been pretty challenging. Mm -hmm. And so our dominate, dominant mode of, of being is, okay, we fight for our survival. I don't need to go further than my own grandparents to, to listen to stories. I mean, they're all dead by now, but to listen to stories of enormous hardship, mm -hmm. of, of sitting in little dinghy boats on, on the open ocean and rowing for a week <laughs> to get to where the fish were, and then to see that some of those men would actually perish along the way. And back home is mommy and the kids and mommy is too busy. So the kids are exposing themselves to all kinds of dangers. And some of them die because mommy didn't have the capacity to actually watch over them all the time. This is only two generations back in my country, right? Yeah. My family is from, my family is from Siberia. So Holy probably... Smokes similar similar situation uh my grandmother is from chilabinsk and my grandfather's from kemerovo so uh similar cold 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 places <laughs> yeah man if you think that when the when our civilization is still in the mode of survival it's it has to be mainly the masculine principle that that governs how we relate to each other because it's a hard it's a hard world and so basically uh, masculinity became the man who can ensure the survival of the family and the community. And so when you're out there on the oceans and your brother just dropped in the ocean and disappeared and you will never see him again, are you going to, are you going to just 
crumble in tears and fall into the existential pit of despair that you just lost a family member and then not actually haul up that fish and come back to feed your kids. No, that's actually not an option. So, so basically you have to, you have to repress all of those vulnerable feelings because mm -hmm. there are all of these mouths to feed and there are all of these hardships that need to be dealt with. But then there comes a moment in our cultural evolution where, where the systems of our culture are sufficiently well-oiled that we can actually afford ourselves to, to pause and to, it's like, oh, oh wow, there's something that's more important, like your story is a testament to, there's something that's more important than busting ass out there all the time. We need to, we need to nurture intimate relationships with, with our family, right? And so in some sense, you could see that uh, the, the patriarchy is getting a rough deal these days because the fact that we can criticize the patriarchy is testament to the fact that it worked until this point. Mm -hmm. If we weren't in the place that we were criticizing in the patriarchy, it would be because we were still fighting for our survival. But now we're in that point. They're saying that the patriarchy created the structure that is allowing for the way to now look back and reflect on where it is that our species and this planet wants to go next. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. So, so we're not, it's now falling. Uh, and there's been some terrible things. I could just imagine somebody listening going, wait, like the patriarchy, like slaughtered, we're burning, you know, women at the stake, calling them witches and, you know, there's 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 some terrible things that have happened under the guise of patriarchy. Tons of terrible yeah, Tons I just want to touch a touch on that, so people don't Tons think you're saying patriarchy is awesome and we should just keep doing more of what we're doing. No, Great. what I'm saying is that the patriarchy has done what it thought that was needed in terms in terms of taking care of that small part of reality that they consider to be us. You know, and then you have different cultures and tribes and nations and the religions and they're all fighting each other because that's you don't have spheres of inclusion that are big enough to realize we're all part of the same frigging humanity but my point being is that yes there has been a success to to the way things have worked but but the price we paid was tremendous the price uh, the, the, the price we paid was human intimacy it was connection with nature it was feeling in touch with our bodies. It was actually uh, on some level uh, being savage to the planet and polluting it. And so the and we price- lost imagination too. When you're trying to survive, you're not, you're not imagining things. And we've lost our homes. A lot of us are like uh, Stephen Jenkinson's work. You said Soul of Money earlier, and he wrote a book called Soul of Money, but his work is called, he calls it Orphan Wisdom School. And he says that essentially we're orphans, most of us. Uh, there's very few indigenous people left. And so we've lost that too. Uh, um, yes. And this is why I think, Zach, that, that there's, there's such a re-emergence of shamanistic wisdom as well as these lover uh, feelings inside of us, whether it's vulnerability, sensitivity, it could even be angst, existential angst. Are we even going to survive the next couple of decades? People are really worried that are growing up right now. Uh, the young, the young, the young kids that I meet are worried that the earth's not going to make it. And a lot of them are, you know, kind of checking out and saying, well, I'm just going to, you know, entertain myself and, you know, party and, you know, might as well just use whatever because 
you know, the the earth's going to end and that's just perpetuated. And then you have the other camp that says, you know, everything is totally fine. It's all a myth that the earth's getting destruct, you know, destroyed and and then they fight endlessly back and forth typically. Yeah, and it's a tragedy what's happening right now. And and I do like to frame things in a message of hope that at every juncture of like at every threshold to a new paradigm, there tends to be a collapse of the old. Right. And it's like a, like a new story usurps or swallows the old story and it contains within it the old story. And it's kind of alchemizing the old story and unfolding into something that looks completely different, but has roots in it. Yes, exactly. And I think what's happening right now is, maybe part of this alchemy process or alchemical process is that there are certain things that people are, or the, the, the zeitgeist, as we would call it, the culture of our time is trying to vomit out that just won't come out. Uh, and maybe those are because there are some important elements to our history in these things, you know, uh, the patriarchy coming to mind. Masculinity is not all bad. Uh, although it, it needs a new face. It needs a new, a new life that is coherent with what we're dealing with in this time. The circumstances have changed. Conscious, human consciousness has changed. Culture has been, you know, in many places completely annihilated. Uh, and somehow we've got to figure out a way to have these archetypes essentially communicate with one another in some way that's harmonious and, uh, I don't know. That's that's kind of what I'm I'm seeing a vision. I'm having a hard time articulating what I'm. No, I think you're doing. Uh, I think you're doing really well. Uh, you're actually pointing to the core of the work that I and we do at Reclaim Me in a Throne, which is bri- building a bridge between the warrior and the lover parts of us, and in culture. So what you, if you were to use the lens of archetypes you could see that there is now a complete polarization between the warrior and the lover archetypes in our culture is that the battle that you see mostly going on between climate change denying and then you know climate crisis end of end of the world yeah it's it's the battle between agency and communion Hmm. so so you have the agentic people that just wants to keep creating in their in their own individual autonomous way without that much thought of the whole of, of, of our globe of humanity that just as long as they operate within the bounds of capitalism in, in a more or less ethical way that that seems good to them yeah then you have the other the communion side where typically these uh, those of us who are more in the communion side of things we are more feeling people we tend to swim a little bit closer to the unconscious so we are more receptive to these archetypal qualities and symbols that are emerging in our culture. And, uh, but this is also bringing a level of anxiety in, into the communion people because they're more receptive to these, shall we say, psychological uh, qualities of... Yeah, they could be overtaken by some of these archetypes and some of the shadow side of the archetypes. Uh, we, that happens on both sides, mm-hmm. though I do think that... Uh, like we we have uh, sensitivity happens on a spectrum, right? And to to I th- I think what I'm what what I'm seeing is uh, on 
the more sensitive side, they might be taken over by an archetype that doesn't play well in the world that it comes into. Whereas on the other extreme, if you're taken over by an archetype, Donald Trump comes to mind. Uh, essentially, it's able to function very, very well because the conditions and the systemic conditions are it's in the right swimming pool for that archetype at this point. Mm. Yeah, Donald Trump, I would say, is an anomaly and doesn't really fit into any any of the the classical boxes that I that I would work with. He's he's more of the Joker, you know, the the the, the figure <laughs> that exposes the farce that is humanity to to all of us. But uh, that's a valuable lens to see him through if you're uh, not a Trump supporter. So that's a very valuable lens to see that as a expose, so to speak. Yeah, and I think it's an important lens because ultimately the process that we're in now, I, I, imagine these, these coming years as the culminating years of the culture wars between traditional values and modernist values and postmodern values. And all of, all of, all of these camps, they're just duking it out on the, on the field of ideology, you know? And, um, and in the evolutionary psychology work of, of uh, researchers and psychologists such as Claire Graves, who's created the, the, the system that became spiral dynamics, there's, there's an idea that we are now at the very end of, of a long series of evolution that is um, it's called the first tier in this spiral dynamics language where each stage of evolution has the flaw inherent to it that it thinks it's the only viable way of looking at the world. Mm. And that, that the culminating years of the culture war, wars that will either make or break human civilization is whether the leading edge, which is currently still the more postmodern people, the social, the, the social justice people, whether they are able to realize that the path to, to greater wholeness and integration in our culture is not to blame people like Donald Trump, but it's to do the inner work of int reintegrating qualities of power and territorialism and realizing that these darker impulses are part of us all. Because now they're not so you're just suggesting that they they have a that they're projecting the shadow element of themselves onto people in power. We all do that. Mm -hmm. It's not just them. We all do that. It's universal to the human condition that the parts of us that we haven't integrated in deep in our side of ourselves, they will manifest as as walking, uh, you know, almost demonic entities that they just trigger us into these completely irrational, uh, emotional, you know, they just bring us into what is commonly called a trigger. Mm. And then we, th th we think self-righteously that, okay, so that person is bad, is evil, he's wrong, whatever. But the, the human condition, and this is, of course, Jung's gift to us all, is to realize that we, we become ourselves, we become sovereign individuals when instead of, of fighting the characters that trigger us, mm -hmm. we realize that they represent exiled parts of our psyche and soul. And when we, when we do that, the, the political left can no longer entertain the idea that Donald Trump is merely the enemy, 
no, actually Donald Trump is the is the very manifestation of the shadow of the left. Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating because I, I remember from Sunday, uh, Trump gets on, I forget, probably all in the news channels because that's how it works. But, uh, you know, we found the enemy of Al-Qaeda or ISIS. I can't remember which one. I should probably look that up again because I've said that twice now. And uh, we found the leader and we've got rid of we've gotten rid of him and he's gone now. And now, you know, all is well. Um, and but it, yeah. And I think that the same thing goes with the Trump. It's like if we just impeach Trump, then that solves the problem. You know, uh, of course, it doesn't because it's systemic into our race by now. And similarly, for the more conservative sides where, where there is this aggression towards, shall we say, more hedonistic behavior or homosexual relationships or whatever it might be. That's just another another manifestation of the the repression of that lover, the, that pleasure seeking part of those people. And so we're all in this uh, kind of ridiculous game of shadow puppet theater, you know, where where our future is in large part, in my perception, determined by whether we wake up to this fact uh, in time. I don't think personally, um, but I, I take a very psychological lens to things mm -hmm. that mer merely finding technological technological or yeah, new te technologies that will clean the air or or whatever, remove the plastic from the oceans. Just turn the world, turn the whole earth into a gigantic Darth Vader system, you know, so we all stay on life support, but instead of like individual sounds, Darth Vader costumes, fun. the whole world is Darth Vader and we're eating, you know, there's the earth is covered in chicken shit and, and uh, concrete. That's a scary world. That's a scary world. I, I do think that... What's being, I mean, we need a what we would call a miracle. Uh, yeah. And sometimes uh, I like what Michael Mead says, and I hope he's right. Uh, he wrote a book called Why the World Doesn't End. I'm actually interviewing Michael Mead on Halloween, which I feel is appropriate. Uh, yeah, because it's such a, a, a day full of characters and archetypes and people acting out the, the very thing that they're maybe not able to act out from day to day. But uh he wrote a book called Why the World Doesn't End, and he talks about apocalypsis and how the world is reborn as it gets destroyed and the mythological stories of Shiva, uh, you know, dancing the creative, you know, the cre creation into existence by destroying it. So the creator and the destroyer being one process. Uh, and that it's impossible to fully see where the hell it's going or, you know, it's always darkest before dawn type of thing. Uh, but I like that he says... You know, I wrote the book, Why the World Doesn't End. And uh, the good news is, if it, uh, if it does end, I won't be here. And no one will be here to tell me it didn't, didn't work. And if, it, and if it doesn't end, then I'm right. <laughs> so <laughs> That's awesome. But I think it's important that we start from the standpoint that uh, there's something that we could do to heal ourselves and the planet. And I think that the planet is, a, like, what we really need to do is, is heal ourselves uh, from the inside to our closest relationships to our connection with like what's what are the trees outside the house what am i eating what am i putting my my in, into my body that's going to become my flesh and uh what am i doing with my money which is uh, i look at money as uh kind of like you would look at a a cell in the body and it's the way that gifts move from one person to another 
and the way that gifts move from from me that might have at the moment to those that you know essentially are going to move it further and uh what do we do with that is so important and we don't have control over what we do with all of our money because we're born into a world that's already been owned we're born into a world where there's private property in order for me to live somewhere i've got to pay someone that essentially if you follow it back long enough stole it from somewhere so a part of my life force is going to be sucked uh to the to the extent to the degree that i have to pay that money uh, also and it's very difficult to grow food unless you have land so if you don't have land you have to rent the land and you also have to buy food that you can't grow and in order to do that you know now you have to go work and then there's taxes in addition to that that were taxed on our income which is the very work of our hands so i don't know if this is where we take the turn into uh i think you wanted to talk about uh, men and their relationship and the masculine uh, relationship to money. And then this could be valuable for women to listen to too uh, because w women also have a relationship with money and women also have the anima in, in them and, uh, and money. And they also have relationships with men, whether they're uh, you know, gay or straight, they still have men in their lives likely. Uh, and so I wanted to talk, because I am a man, and so are you, about men's relationship with money and uh, maybe turn the conversation in that direction. Yeah, I think that's a really important, you know, this is, this is the struggle of so many of us, this topic of money, and then particularly as more and more men are currently in jobs that are sucking their souls and they feel like there's more to life than this. Mm -hmm. and they want to be part of the solution but they don't know how because they don't know how to finance the transition mm -hmm. and um and i don't think there are any easy answers to this and i have to say that i have not figured out the, this question of money in my own life i think you you're further along that path than i am uh, and um and at the same time i am really embracing you know i think i made this proud declaration sometime in my 20s that I don't need money. All I need is spiritual enlightenment. Mm. And, and I, I was in my, you know, fly boy phase of my life where I just wanted to be close to the, to the heavenly realms. And mm -hmm. I meditated a lot and, and I, I almost got to the point where I thought that, you know, air and sunshine is going to sustain me. And, and that isn't quite accurate. Yeah. <laughs> We look for a, a, an easy answer when we see something that's fucked up. And I think that the monetary system, uh, I think it's just systemically fucked up. Um, and, and, and it's dangerous to say that because in some ways we could just throw in the towel. And I, and, I, and I see kind of this, I even feel pulled to that, you know, kind of what you said. You know, I thought I could sustain on light and sunshine alone. And uh, just, you know, my connection with the spirit realm and that's it. That's what my life's about. I, I figured it out. This is my mission. I am going to find, you know, you know, God in the light and spirit and the hell with matter, the hell with relationships, you know, the hell with all that money stuff, the hell with, you know, invoking change in the world unless it's by prayer or meditation. And I don't know, that may be somebody's calling, but it, it wasn't yours obviously and it's at least not now and it's not mine right now either but i think that aspect exists and there's a big power in in prayer 
And I think one of the most important parts of prayer is the ritual component of actually acting as though the prayer has been answered. I agree. And, oh, that's powerful. I like that a lot. Yeah. So maybe we could talk about the prayer, the prayer that goes along with making that transition. Because a lot of people, it seems like they just get stuck. They're convinced that they can't make the transition. It's like Batman in that movie, the, I forget which one it is, where he has to make the jump. And as long as he has the rope, he can't seem to make the jump. And a, you know, modern man might have a lot of ropes, a lot of comfort. Uh, I read a book called uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad when I was really young, when I, in, when I was 18, actually. And it made, a, made it, things make a lot of sense for me. Um, I'm not saying that I agree with people making all of their income as a rentier, which is all passive income off of investments. And if that's really, <laughs> I think that's part of the problem, really, maybe the crux of it. But here's the, the pool we're living in or swimming in nonetheless. And, I, and something that he says in that book is never take a paycheck uh, because the minute you take a paycheck, you become dependent on it and it's very hard to kick it it's almost like an addiction in a way is the way i view it and aside from you know grocery store jobs i had as a you know as a teenager uh since i since i've been 18 i've never had uh, a paycheck i've always been self-employed or on commission uh which you find out very quickly you find out very quickly what you're worth monetarily in that realm. And that's not your ultimate worth, but you find out your relationship with your ability to make money when you go into business for yourself. Certainly. And, and to live in the presence of that, you live closer to the, the sharp edge of existence in a way, because you know that every day you need to show up, otherwise next week, you're not going to have the means to, to put food on the table. No, that's, that's how it looks. And, and so it does light a fire under our ass that I think for many people is, is quite intense. And I know that it, I've, been, I've been in this for uh, reclaiming a throne. I've been running for five years, but I've been, a, I've been running my own businesses for about seven years. And it's certainly been a rite of passage. And I'm still learning every day. And I think that a lot of guys that have so much potential and so many things to give to the world, um, they, they don't know how to do that because it seems just very, very intimidating to them. And I, th I don't think starting your own business, I think there are ultimately there's two ways to transition into, shall we say, the solution rather than the problem. And yeah. that is to... That is to Develop a vision that is sufficiently inclusive and sufficient, sufficiently in line with the evolutionary imperative and get people to flock to my vision. Or I need to find somebody who has a vision that is similarly aligned with where we need to go. So I don't think it's for everyone to start their own company. Uh, I think, I, honestly, that's a pretty, it's extreme sports on many levels to, to be running your own company, as I'm sure you yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Had I, had I met somebody with the vision, uh, that was more compelling than the vision that came to me, I don't even know if I had the vision or if the vision had me, uh, uh, I would, 
I don't know. I'm so used to this. I've been self-employed so long. I don't even know what I do. I've never been on that end of things to be able to, you know, ride the wave of uh, of a great, you know, mentor in in business. Uh, most of the mentors I thought I'd found in business, I found that there were some shady practices happening that were leading to their wealth. And oftentimes you run into wherever there's, you know, where there's great, you know, great fortune, there's usually a great crime. And that's kind of what I witnessed. And we don't have enough time for me to go too deep into that. But uh, I think that that's one of the pitfalls that some men, you know, need to look at um, is how is this person earning their money? You know, you say by the fruits that, you know, he shall be known as one of the Christian, you know, Christian parables. And uh, you need to look at all the fruits because just because they have a Bentley or a a Rolls Royce or a limousine or a mansion, uh, look at more of the roots look at more of the fruits and look at where that's coming from and how they're engaging. How are they embodied? How do they treat people that they work with? How do they treat the waiter, the server? How do they treat you? You know, uh, a lot of people I think get in a situation where they get perpetually shamed and uh, that's soul killing and soul sucking, as you had said. Um, But maybe at least if you're getting shamed, your chance of leaving that job is maybe higher. And so you could find your true passion and true purpose. I don't know how, uh, I, I, f- I find that a lot of people that are most worried about losing what they have are actually relatively comfortable and have a decent support network. Uh, there are people that are living on minimum wage that are barely hanging on and don't have an education don't ha- and all their families in the same situation. And I don't know if that would be the person I would advise just to drop everything, but yeah. I mean, I would love to uh, to lay out a really clear framework of how to make that transition. But you were talking about this prayer, and I was talking about vision. Mm-hmm. And in both of and in both of those ideas, you need to know something about where you're going. Yeah, there's a calling, and the calling, you know, comes with a vision, likely, right? Exactly, and so I think ultimately. The most important thing for anyone that wants to to shift their lives and to be more aligned with the evolutionary imperative of the moment is to get really intimate with what I want. Because a lot of us, we, we're so numb from addictions and a job that we don't lo- love that we don't actually know what we want. And when we don't know what we want, we don't know what to pray, pray for and we also yeah. don't I don't, we also don't know what what vision to be inspired by. I mean, we could look to other men and see what about other men inspires us. And I think that that could start to plant the seeds of vision. And sometimes that those men might not be around us. We might not know them. Um, they might not even be alive today. They might be men of antiquity. And uh, And I think to start to outline what about those people, not necessarily what they have, I think... So often people are focused on material possessions uh, as opposed to like, what is it? I mean, I'm most motivated by what's really wrong in the world. And like, what is it that I really, really stand for? What is it that I really want to make an impact on? And for me, it's slavery. It's the slavery of spirit, uh, of human beings, of the spirit of money, uh, the spirit of animals that are caged up in, you know, modern day concentration camps. Uh, 
the, 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 the capture of the spirit of land that is hoarded. And I mean, in, in, in Europe and places, you could go camp somewhere on other people's land. Here, you walk across a line, and I mean, you could practically get shot for it walking on property line. Yeah, we actually have a law in Norway that, that says that all Monstetten it basically means that nature belongs to everyone. And so it's written into law that we anyone can be everywhere in nature. I mean, of course, there 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 is private property that may have various fences and stuff, but it's not very common. So nature is freely accessible. And I guess on some level, Americans, you, you have a very you have quite the talent for turning anything into a product or a commodity and then selling it over a counter, you know? So it's almost like you're doing that with nature as well. I think oh, that- yeah. yeah, it, it is, is happening. happening. Yeah, I think the tendency towards that is less in, at least in Norway, and that there is more of a sense of that we all belong to nature and we, we, go, we can all take part in it, rich and poor both. You know, it's very, very accessible here. I mean, I can, I can, I can sit down in a car and in five minutes I can be in, in the wild, you know, and I'm in, I'm in the city in Oslo. This brings me back to my childhood uh, when I was, you know, I lived in a group home when I was 13 and we would break out of that house in the middle of the night and steal the van. And, uh, and then after that, you know, I, I lived with my parents for a very short time on and off. And uh, I would either get kicked out or just refuse to tolerate, you know, shitty behavior from uh my my family at the time i was a rebellious uh, very rebellious uh incorrigible i was labeled i think um i remember i think that from school i had a 4.0 gpa but i was incorrigible uh and uh i remember that i would have nowhere to go so i would be at the school or i'd, I'd break into the uh retirement homes into the uh jacuzzi uh and just go in the hot tub, like have to like crawl between the like the little fence, and like police would arrest me and take me in. And I mean, it would happen. I mean, I must have been arrested sixty times. I, they knew me by name at this point. Uh, and I don't know. I think maybe what I'm calling towards is some of that spirit, some of that wild renegade spirit, because I think that spirit is the spirit that will take the risk. And there's a pragmatic element too. Uh, I could speak about the U.S. You know, there are ways to play the game differently. You know, there's ways to collaborate. There's ways to, you know, how the hell do I work less? You know, because truth be told, it's very hard to muster enough energy when you're working 50 hours a week as soul that's soul sucking work to be able to have anything left to build to create a vision. There's no room for a vision to emerge. Your soul is being sucked. A vision comes through soul. So I think that maybe the first step is, how do I make maybe the equal amount of money or even less doing something that isn't sucking my soul? Step one. And you know what? It may, it may be... Well, doing... uh, Go ahead. Yeah. So the, what I did, I had a, a wake-up moment. I think it was back in 2000, between 2007 and 2008. That's the moment that I realized that, that I don't really know jack about being a man in this world and there were a couple of movies that i watched that actually inspired that realization and there weren't actually masculine movies whatsoever they were mrs doubtfire and aaron brockovich but i was watching huh. them with my, i was watching them with my girlfriend at the time and i was looking at this robin williams character that was 
that was so immature that he had to dress up as a, an old woman to see his kids because he was too, too immature to actually be with them as an adult man. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at him and I was just like, oh my God, I do not want to end up like that. Mm-hmm. And um, well, there were some scenes in Aaron Brockovich as well. And in that moment, I just had this weird realization that, hey, there's something here that I can ded- dedicate myself to. I started writing about movies. I was working on weekends for for years to just write about men in movies. And I created a website called masculinitymovies.com. It started to become popular. People started telling me that it made a difference in their lives. And, and so I just did that on my spare time. Granted, I didn't have kids at the time. And actually, I still don't have kids. That, that was the emerging of this prayer was the writing of these. The vision came through the movies. Yes. You felt the pull. Yes. And then the prayer was starting that. It didn't make sense how you were going to start Reclaim Your Inner Throne by writing about movies, right? No, it didn't at all. It didn't at all. But I felt a calling deep inside of me that I chose to heed. And I think this is the key that so many people, they, they have these inner callings, but they, they conclude that it's too inconvenient and, and they, they don't even try. So what I did was that I started working on weekends. I sacrificed a lot of pleasures and comforts. And on some level, I regret that. But on another level, I'm really happy for the sacrifice I made because I now have a job that I can't, I have a career or business that I can't conceive of anything in the world that I would want to do more than what I'm currently doing. And I transitioned first by working weekends and then I went to my boss and I said, hey, I, it's, it's good to work here and all. I need to step down my, my job here a little bit. Do you agree with me not coming in to work on Fridays? I'll work Monday to Thursday, but on Friday, I need to do something for myself. Mm-hmm. And I negotiated the terms with him and he was okay with it. So now for several more years. But you laid the foundation. You like you were ready. You were ready to make to make that move. I think some people maybe make t- put the cart before the horse and say, my boss has to approve me to get Fridays off before I could start writing. Well, you need to be really intentional about it, <laughs> right? And then to to argue convincingly on behalf of that vision. And and then now I have three days instead of two. You have another notification going on. <laughs> I don't know where they just, they hide on here. They're like, it's like hide hide, hide and go seek on my computer. I don't, uh, they, they find their way. So uh, essentially I made it work by being creative and over time, a vision emerged that I'm not going to go into now, other than to say that this animal that hangs behind me. Oh, it's an animal. Now we can see. I thought it was a pyramid. Hangs there for a reason. There were some women speaking in Oracle tongues about the stag that brought me on a hell of a journey. It opened up the gateway to my soul and initiated me into the landscape that brought Reclaim here in the throne to the world. And so basically, it's just one step at a time. I think so many people, they, they dabble a little bit in something and then they conclude, no, it's not going to work. It's too hard, whatever. But you need to utilize, you know, compound interest, if you will. Yeah. Um, you know, it comes <laughs> over time. 
you invest and it keeps coming back because people know what you do. You now have the network, you have a name because you've been doing this stuff online for all of these years and bit by bit opportunities emerge. And there is no other way than to be diligent over time. And I think a lot of people now, men, uh, being that I work with men, you know, we have lost our phallus, if you will, mm. you know, there is such a, an animosity towards the patriarchy these days that many men end up self-castrating because they think that being a man is inherently bad. And so they chop their dick off and now they don't know how to be in the world anymore. And so, and so because, because the phallus represents a man, man's direction mm -hmm. and it needs to keep fucking the world for years on end mm -hmm. until you actually produce the child of your, 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 you know, your, that sole business or purpose. There is no other way. So you just, you just need to do it. Be creative. It's little steps to begin with and bit by bit the, it starts emerging. I like that. Fuck your fuck fuck your way into the world. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a controversial way of speaking these days, but it's the truth. A sexual energy is the creative uh, is the creative force of the universe, mm -hmm. and if we if we turn off all of our desire and our and our desire to conquer and to to seduce and all of these things that have has defined what it means to be a man for thousands of years, and we sort of all of a sudden rebel against our biology and pretend that that is the solution to all of our and problems. And it's also not that you give up uh, courtship for seduction and give up courtship altogether, or that uh, you give up collaboration for conquering. It's, there's a time for conquer. There's a time for, for, for collaboration. There's a time for seduction. There's a time for courtship. Exactly. Exactly. I'm just uh, messaging my business coach who's currently waiting on another line. So, uh, well, perfect. That's a perfect, that's a perfect ending is that even you're seeking, you're coaching men and you're still working with a coach to get another perspective on what's going on with you. Of course, I'm, I'm currently having some of the tech problems myself. Yeah. Well, this contagious apparently <laughs> all the way across to Norway from Salt Lake city, Utah. See, I, I don't think there's any time that uh, we do not need mentors and, and, and allies, some, someone to show the way in a particular discipline. There's always some new thing to learn about the world, some, way to, some new way to learn how to love or how to run a business or how to eat well or whatever. Sure, there's a, there's a ton of wisdom that we can mine internally but there's also the, the, the power of modeling someone or looking to someone who's modeling where we want to go. It cannot be overestimated, you know? And uh, so, yeah, it's true. I, I need help when it comes to business. But when it comes to the transformational process with men, I'm the one that... That's an important distinction to know where your weaknesses lie and know where you need improvement and know where mentor mentorship is needed and being humble enough to go seek it out. and. In some ways, you know, humble, humbleness, humility comes from humiliation, you know, and I think a lot of people are trying to avoid humiliation, which is why they stick to the same path 
You know, sometimes you're going to go out there, you're going to fuck up and you're going to become humiliated. And that's where you're going to get your humility. And when you have your humility, you're going to be able to find those mentors because they're not going to come around if you're not humble. They're not going to put up with your shit because they've already been there. They can see that you're not ready for it. You know, and that goes back to that, you know, maybe almost cliche term, but it's cliche and it's said so often for a reason that when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Hey, I want to thank you for coming on. Thank you. Yeah, I just want to add, because the student needs to admit that he needs help. Otherwise, there's no way to help him. It's like the addict. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been fun. We had some technical hiccups along the way, but that's okay. I like expected the techno hip- hiccups. I didn't know what it would be, but uh, I'm, uh, I'm happy we made it through, and that's what the beauty of editing is for. Awesome. Yeah, I'm glad, uh, I'm glad to, to be here with you today. Yeah, pleasure to, pleasure to uh, meet you, parenthetically. Take care, Ivan. Yeah, you too, my friend. Bye-bye. Have a good day. Bye. Thank you so much for listening, and please follow us to hear future episodes where we discuss topics such as alternative states of consciousness achieved through dance, intention, and shamanic practices, sacred economics, dream work, trauma healing, building community, permaculture, healthy and compassionate living and eating practices, somatic and alternative healing modalities, politics, psychology, mythology, and more. Our work is focused on the liberation of spirit, a return to the sacred, which is a constant collective inquiry. We aim both in person and on this podcast to plant and water the seeds of liberation from economic inequality, trauma, systemic conditioning, addiction, loss of soul, loss of meaning, hopelessness, helplessness, isolation, shame, nightmares, guilt, and a return to glimpses of your birthright, of dignity, joy, community, collaboration, equality, and constantly beautifying new world where you are not alone. And always, if you're ever in the Salt Lake City area, come join us for yoga, dance, or in the garden. A community of beautiful souls are here to welcome you. We gather in community Wednesday, 6 p.m. till 10 p.m. and Sunday, 11 to 3 p.m. And we have a vegan brunch or vegan dinner after every event. Our gatherings are all ages and are of no religious affiliation. We look forward to seeing you.